0: Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. I would like to continue sermon series I started a few weeks ago and uh, really wrap it up today. Uh, We're looking at the book of Haggai, the first chapter. And we've really been looking at Haggai and Ezra kind of bouncing back and forth, looking at the story um, of the the captives that came back from Babylon. Uh, The first captives from Israel, the Israelites that came back um, from Babylon to the promised land, back to Jerusalem. They were sent there, commissioned there by Cyrus, um, king, over Babylon. Um, After 70 years in exile and so uh, the first Sunday we talked we talked a lot about that first generation how you know what it would have cost them to step back into the unknown to step back into a place that was desolate to leave their culture and um, that's where we talked about how the fact that God's promises sometimes come to us in pieces that he, he what he tells us and what he hands us often are too different they look different. Um, They are the same thing, but honestly, God gives us pieces uh, to the puzzle. He gives us pieces to the Lego set, and he asks us, Um, to to put those pieces back in his hand and watch what he can do uh, with the pieces of our life. Um, If you didn't hear that, that that sermon's on uh, our our podcast, at our website. Um, But then last week, we talked a little bit further about how after they had handed the pieces to God, after they had begun to build in Ezra chapter 1 and 2 and 3, they laid the foundation for the temple um, which, which was not a small thing, by the way. And it's a pretty massive foundation. It's not like a little slab like for, for this warehouse here. This is a, a huge foundation that they built and constructed. And they were so excited about it. They were celebrating it. They were, they were so stoked about what God was doing in them and then what was happening through them uh, that they celebrated. And, 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 and they brought out the altar, uh, it was probably what, what's known as the brazen altar, which is a massive square uh, altar that, that uh, the priests used to sacrifice animals to in their worship to God. And they brought out that altar and they sacrificed a whole bunch of animals in worship to God. Uh, and this was, for them, a defining moment. But then they met opposition in Ezra chapter 4. And we preached about that last week, about how the enemy cannot stop you but when the enemy can't stop you there are three things he will try to do Uh, first and foremost he will try to join you Uh, if he can't stop you he'll try to join you and so we saw that the enemies of god tried to join the people of God, because if you, can, if you can speed up the process, you can dilute the product. And so the enemy knows that. And so the enemy often comes in as a form of help, as a form of a, a, a way to quick, quicken up, the, speed up the, the whole deal and make it easier for you. And what happens is it cheapens the product. And so the enemy will try to join you, um, or, or he, if that doesn't work, he'll try to discourage you. And uh, discouragement is an attack of the enemy. And the way that he discouraged the people or tried to discourage the people was through hassling them. All kinds of red tape and, and just just hassle. Uh, it, it wasn't one major thing, it was a, it was a million little things. I don't know if anybody can relate to that, but sometimes it's not one thing. It's just the fact that there are so many little things going wrong, going off in our lives, that it creates an element of discouragement. And we preached about that last week and you can listen to it on our podcast. But the third way, and this one did work for the people, is if he can't discourage you, then he will try to make you fear something other than God. And this is the one that finally got them. They feared the king. They feared the king that issued the decree that they should stop building. And so for 15 years, the the exiles that had returned from captivity, with the sole purpose, by the way, what, what King Cyrus had told them to do was rebuild the temple. That was their only job. The sole purpose of their lives had been put on pause for 15 years because of fear. Not because God's promises weren't true, not because God's power wasn't available to them, but because they feared something other than God. And so last week we talked about how you have to flip—you have to flip the fear. You have to flip what you fear. You can't—you can't fear uh, uh, the, the 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 loss of employment over your fear of God. If you fear the loss of employment, if you fear poverty, you will always do whatever uh, prosperity tells you to do. Uh, if you fear uh, the opinion of your in-laws, you will always try to do what you think they would like you to do. If you fear the opinion of not just your in-laws, but your, your, your family members or, or, or any particular, any person or anything that holds for you uh, what you believe to be a life-altering ability, they will affect my future. It's really what you call almighty. That's what you fear. And, and for them, they switched it and they changed their fear from man to a fear of God, that they believe that God had the most control over their future, both for the good and for the bad. If you read Haggai chapter one, God makes it pretty clear that the reason why the crops aren't growing, the reason why their life isn't working is because God himself is not with them. God is not blessing them, God is not helping them. And what we have found is that when God helps you, it doesn't matter who's, who's trying to hurt you. But if God's not helping you, it doesn't matter who is helping you. <laughs> Uh, life only works when God is in it, when God is at the center of it. And so, and so they were stopped for 15 years. And after 15 years, Haggai comes along, God gives a word to Haggai, and Haggai addresses the people by the word of God. And so this is our last week here in the book of Haggai. So I wanna read um, just uh, much of Haggai chapter one, just to give some context to this. And then I want to settle in on really what is the main point, I think, Um, of Haggai's message. Uh, Haggai verse one, it says, in the second year of King Darius on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. It's good to hear what the politician wannabe mighty says. It's fine to hear what the barber not so mighty says, but you really need to hear what the Lord Almighty says, uh, stepping into this new year, you need a, a revelation more than you need a new year's resolution. You need a new year's revelation of who God is. And that's why God addresses this first and foremost. He says, before I give you my tweet, I'm going to give you my, my Twitter handle. You need to know who I am before you hear what I say. Because what I say, your, your, your ability to believe what I say is predicated on your knowledge of who God is. And so that's why God initially right off the bat says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, now now, now he's, he's, going to, he's going to put a juxtaposition between what these people are saying. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. And this is what God has to say. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, my house, remains a ruin now this is what the lord almighty says again there it is give careful thought to your ways in other words think about it is your life working is this to quote uh what's his face uh, the the guy on tv um tried to take over from oprah phil dr phil i always forget his name the bald guy is how's that working for you that's what he says to all his little rebellious teenagers that get up there on the show and cause drama How's that working for you? And then they say, catch me outside. How about that? (laughs) How's that working for you? (laughs) So God says, how's that working for you? Give careful thought to your ways. And this is the deal. He says, you've planted much, but have harvested little. You eat. But never have enough you drink, but never have your fill you put on clothes, but are not warm You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it In other words, you're doing you are working, but it is not working. You're doing all the things you should be doing But you're not getting the results you should be getting you're putting in the labor you're putting in the time you're putting in the effort you're putting in the savings You're doing all the stuff you should be doing, but it's not working for you. And, and, And I love the care of God that he sees every element of their life. He recognizes every element of their life. And he's not trying to bash them here. He's, he's trying to expose the fact and get them to be real with themselves and with him that, no, my life is not exactly working. I'm doing the work, but it's not panning out the way that I thought it would. This is what the Lord Almighty says. There, there it is again. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountain and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. This is what God's message is to the people. He says, Look, the, your life is not working. And God wants our lives to be working. And so he gives them, he gives them the key to a life that works. He says, Go up, go up unto the hills, go up to the mountains, bring down timber so that you can build my house. See, they, 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 they had started building God's house. They had moved on to the land of Jerusalem, and they had begun to build the house of God, but they had stopped for 15 years. And basically what God is saying, it's, is, he's saying it's time to build. He's saying, look, you've stopped for 15 years. You've put it on hold long enough. It's time to build. And that's, that's, the, that's the title of my message today. That's what I want to speak to you about today around the subject of it is time to build. It's time to to build. You might, you might not think it's time to build. You might not feel like it's time to build. You might have checked the weather and don't know that it's time to build. But but sometimes God has to come prophetically and speak to you and tell you it is time to build. Would you tell somebody next to you in case they don't, in case they're not listening to me? Because some people are sleeping. Slap them on the side of the head and just tell them it's time to build. Just let them know. Just let them know. Just say God's telling. Like, hey, this is just, I just, I just have this feeling. Yeah, no, not actual slapping, but, you know, just tell them. It's time to build. It it, it, it it really. I believe that as a church, it's time to build, but I believe spiritually, personally, it's time to build. As Poppy was sharing what God's doing in her life, God is building in her life. That's what's happening. There's stuff that you've put off and put on the back burner and ignored and not really thought about, and God says, no, no, I want to get to that stuff. That's what happens during fasting. Those of us that are fasting and praying, what happens is you put aside some things, and suddenly God begins to speak to you about stuff that you need to start building in your life and as as he starts to reveal that you got to you got to respond with a yes yes Lord it's time to build my dedication yes Lord it's time to build my faith yes Lord it's time to build my obedience and my trust in you yes Lord it is time to build that's why I love that song I want to go deeper I want to go further I want more of you Lord does anybody want more of Jesus in 2019 would you like him to build something inside of your heart because when we're talking about building, we're not, not the, Haggai is not a book of the Bible to be used or to be preached around um, building campaigns. Like, 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 you know, I'm sorry if some pastor twisted this and got you to come paint a wall because of Haggai. That's not the purpose of Haggai. When, when, God, said, when God said, you're living in nice houses, but my house is not built, he wasn't concerned about a church building. See, it's different. In our, in our time, we are living in a New Testament time frame, a culture, a dispensation, where we have the Holy Spirit within us. So we have connection to God, whether even if you come into a building or don't come into to, to a building, uh, we, the temple, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is the temple of God. He dwells inside of us. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit hadn't been released into the world, and so people did not have access to God except through the temple. So when God says I want you to rebuild my house, he's not talking about that we need a Crystal Cathedral um, to look really good so that, so that churches will grow. He's talking about I need a He's talking about the spiritual life of the nation. The temple is the spiritual heartbeat of the nation. When the temple is down, the spiritual connection to God is down. And so as we read this and as we study this passage, we have to understand that I'm not trying to get anybody to come in and put foam up on walls or paint anything, even though if you want to, we do have some stuff that could use painting, but that's not the purpose of the sermon series. The sermon series is that God wants to build something inside of you and me. God wants to do, it's the, it's the heart of your spiritual life that he wants to build, see if, if you could just get a mental image I, I don't know I, when, whenever I study passages I always try to get a mental image of what's going on in the story and actually walk into the story and if you could get a mental image of Jerusalem at this time it would it, it, it would look something like this basically the, the the Jerusalem is kind of like a big hill it's in a very hilly region and uh, the, the the temple is called the Temple Mount because it's it, it used to be situated right on top of the hill of Jerusalem right there kind of on a flat sort of open area but all around that along the hillside um, is where they build their houses especially in those days you build it up against the side of a hill and it adds to the support of the thing and so all around so, so if you were to walk up the hill to Jerusalem if you were to walk literally that's why it's usually called going up to Jerusalem because it's, you have to you have to walk in an upward way and if you were to walk up to Jerusalem the first thing you would see is the is the homes And this is what they have been spending so much time on because out of fear, they had drawn back from the vision that God had for their life. And so anytime, anytime you withdraw from the vision that God has for your life, you will usually lower your vision to the level of your resources and to the scope of your comfort to the level of your resources and the scope of your comfort. And this is what they did. They went back to their homes and said, well, we could have nicer homes. Right, we built these kind of shacks so that we could get the foundation of the temple laid. But now that we can't continue doing what God's called us to do, let's try to make our homes better. Let's get some panels on the walls. In other words, reinforce the walls. Have decorative panels. Have better insulation. Let's have some flat-screen TVs. Let's get some. Let's get some 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 uh, 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 all kinds of technology. Let's, let's let's do up our homes. Let's get a second story. I've always kind of wanted a garden out back. And for about 15 years, they've invested their energy energy in what would bring them comfort and in what they were capable of doing the 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 vision was at the level of their resources and at the scope of their comfort and this is this is what we will do because you are a builder Like you are made to build you will invest your energy somewhere you will build something you will do something you have eternity scripture says you have eternity in your hearts like you have the divine spark in your heart you have you have you have the image of god inside of you so you're made to be creative to build to to do great things and you are going to pursue something great And you are going to strive for something you are going to put your energy your money your time your resources your talents into something but whenever you withdraw from the vision that God has for you, you end up putting it into things that primarily benefit you and your comfort. And this is what they did. They, they, they decorated their house, they built up their homes. And so if you were walking into Jerusalem, honestly, the first thing you would see are the homes. These, these beautiful two-story homes with decorated walls and kids playing in the backyard and sheep out there on the hillside. And wow, like, like, like if, if you were visiting your friend, they, about 50,000 of them went back to Jerusalem to start this thing, to build the temple. If you're visiting your friend and you stepped in, you would be like, wow, in, in, in 17 years, you guys have really done a lot around here. And oh yeah, yeah, man, come on inside my house, check out, check out, check out how beautiful this is, check out how spacious the the master bedroom is. I even got a bath off, off to the side of it with our separate showers, you know. And, and and you're showing around the house and 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 then and then if the person was a Christian, he would say about you know how blessed, how good God is, and how highly flavored I am, and and the Lord is just so good to us, and man, he's been blessing us, and wow, he's really just been taking care of us. I tell you what, we just this is what we got for Christmas, this is what we we did the uh, this is what we, this is a vacation we went on last week. And man, it's just been so good. God's been so good to us. It's been so awesome. It's interesting that they invested their time in what would bring them comfort and what people would see first. The curb appeal of the city. They said, let's make sure that looks good. Now the closer you get in, well, it's not so great. But but let's just make sure our Instagram photos look really good. Let's make sure the filter looks good. <laughs> so did she lose twenty pounds or is that what her eyes look bigger than I thought. Well, she has cat ears? What is going on? <laughs> We were at we were at Salt Lake. Me and me and my family were at Salt Lake, and uh, over Christmas, and we were sitting inside because it was kind of cold outside. And there was a lady outside that was looked to be about my age, and she was like with her mom who looked to be about my mom's age. Uh, she's, like she hasn't been 20 for a while, you know, and. Um, and and, and and they were outside. And so she handed her mom the phone and uh, she went and stood over by, it wasn't even in front of the, the, the Salt Lake, it was in front of something else. And she was like, she was she, she, she was like posing, you know. And she like doing like the pose thing, you know. I don't know, I, I can't, I don't know. It's like. I don't know. I don't know, the lips have to go this way, the hips gotta go that way and then, and then, and then her mom took the picture, you know, we were like, "What's she doing? In there? Is this a magazine shoot? something we missed something? Uh, but her mom takes a picture with her phone, and then she goes back and looks at. it. she's like, "Oh no, 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 And so she goes back up again. It's like, "Oh that must have been the wrong side? That was my ugly side, you know, I need to need to get this side because this is the side that's really good. and, and it, like literally like five times she kept going back and going back, and it was like, what? what? And so until finally she got like, you know, you, you, like you can't go up. You got to go down, you know, because that's more slimming. And so, you know, her mom had to like strain it. it. It's so interesting how we put so much effort into making sure the curb appeal looks good, into making sure the clothes look good. $15 at H&M after Christmas sale. Thank you very much. And, and making, sure, ma- making sure that the package is right and the outside is right so that when people come by and they're like, man, God's really blessing. Wow, I can't believe it. Yeah, I'm I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm too anointed to ever be disappointed And you know, we got all this Christian stuff that we just go on about because it's just like we, we like to present this And then you know, if you're Christian, you give all the glory to God, of course But if you're not, then you give all the glory to yourself But either way we present this really good face so that when you walk up to our life, you see the investment You see the time you see the money you see the effort that's gone into this spot now, 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 usually we're like, okay, so thanks for visiting Jerusalem. I'll tell you what, go back and tell the boys back in Babylon we're doing good. God's blessing. Take up an offering for us. Help us. We really want that bigger chandelier in here. That, that, that would be wonderful. And he, we, we send them off on their way but what what was actually happening is that if you continued walking up the path to jerusalem the nice houses would start to get behind you and you would go up into the quarter where there was a marketplace and there was probably a pretty decent marketplace with trade and different different booths with with people bringing their animals and bringing their food and and purchasing and buying and selling but if you went even further up to the highest place to the place that was supposed to be the most glorious to the place that was supposed to be the most beautiful to the place that was supposed to be, uh, to, to have the, the greatest investment, what, you, what, what, what would you find? You'd find a slab and, and a square altar with a bunch of blood all over it, and blood all along the side, and blood all around. And I, and I feel like just that picture, that picture right there, if you zoom out, that's such a picture of so many of our. Christian lives. We have a place for God, we really do. But it's only a a place that we visit every so often. We really don't wanna put much into it. And honestly, it's a place where a lot of things die. It's not really that exciting. It's just a bunch of sacrifice. Our version of Christianity is really, occasionally we leave our very nice houses and we go to this sort of desolate barren place inside of us. And yeah, we got to pay our dues. Yeah, we got check to this, check this off the box. Yeah, we got to do this for God because, well, that's what good Texans do. And that's what good people do. And that's what families do. And that's what's good for the kids. And, and so, and so there's, this, there's this little place of sacrifice in our lives that we visit on rare occasions. And, and, and because of that, none of the other stuff works. Because of that, even though we have the nicer houses and the upgrade, upgraded phone and, and the better situation and the better job, yet it doesn't fulfill us. It doesn't do what, what it was meant to do. And honestly, even our own spiritual lives don't fulfill us because it's only a place of sacrifice. This is what this is what stands out to me about uh, about this situation is not so much that they put invested so much money on the outside. That's part of it, but the main part is is that they were missing so much on the inside. They were missing so much of the temple. Now, yeah, they were missing walls and ceilings, of course, and and uh, courtyards and things like that. But but because of that, that means they would have been missing all of the things that were meant to be stored inside. The only article from, from Solomon's temple that they, that they would have had out there is the article that could have been stored outside or not under cover, which is the brazen altar. Everything else from the temple was supposed to be stored inside or else it would rot and destroy and, 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 and turn really bad because it was like made of gold mostly. And so all of those articles are missing from their spiritual life. All of those pieces are missing. And so when God says, look, it's life, life is not working for you. You need to build my house. He's not just saying that he wants a house. He's saying that he wants these, these pieces to be a part of their spiritual life. Because without them, your spiritual life is drudgery. Without them, it's just sacrifice. Without them, it's just, it's, it's just labor. You're just, having to, you're just having to give something to God all the time. And you never receive from the goodness of God. All of these other things. See, the, the, the one area of sacrifice was the brazen altar. When you stepped into uh, the, the, the upper court or the inner court um, of Solomon's temple, which is what they were supposed to rebuild. If you stepped into the outer court, I, I think we actually have a chart um, that, that you could see, um, that when you step into the outer court, there's this, this large altar up here. And uh, you, you would enter the outer court and right there would be this altar. Underneath it would be coals. And on top of it, there are these corners that they would, they would use to tie animals for ceremonial killing on. This is, of course, uh, uh, prophetic of Jesus. That Jesus would lay down his life as the sacrificial lamb for us. And, and, and But this is what God wanted you to smell first when you walked into the outer court. To so smell death because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So it is, sacrifice is part of the Christian life, absolutely. But it's only the front door. It's only the beginning. That when Christ shed his blood, when he sacrificed on our behalf, when he laid down his life, it provided access so that we could go past the front door. But see, after the front door... Everything except for the molten sea is inside the molten sea was basically a giant basin uh, That was that was a a larger version of what was on was what was in the tabernacle um, Which was which was just water? Um, I don't know if this is where Catholics get the version of holy water But the water itself wasn't holy but it was for washing of the the priests before they would go into the temple So if you don't have a temple, you don't need the water And so this is amazing because if you read Ezra chapter one, you see that Cyrus commanded that all the articles from the previous temple be given to the Jews and taken back to Jerusalem. Now they don't have a place to store the articles. So all the articles are in storage. See, and this is what God, I think is what God wants to do in your life. He wants to take some stuff out of storage in 2019. I think he wants to dust some, dust some stuff off, shake some things out. Maybe it's been in storage for 15 years, but God wants to bring out some old stuff that still has purpose in your life. Some of those old promises still have purpose in your life. Some of those old pieces still have purpose in your life. And it's just taking up space in your backyard right now, but God wants you to bring it out of storage so that he can use it in your life. Because the purpose of the molten sea, as it was called, or, or basically the bowl of water, the purpose of that was that the priest before he enters into the sanctuary before he enters into the holy place he was supposed to wash his hands and his feet. And see this is what this is what doesn't happen when all you have is sacrifice. There's never any cleansing, there's never any washing. God wants more than you just to come pay your dues and go back to your regular life. He wants when you come to him to actually wash with the water of the word that it would purify your mind, that it would purify your conscience, that it would purify your hands and your feet so that everywhere you go, you have a fresh purity about you. You have a newness about you. You have a clean, a cleanliness about you. So that you don't just come and and kill something and sacrifice something to God and then go back to your regular life. But you come and you instead are washed clean by the water, by the water of God's word, that it renews your mind, that it regenerates your mind, that it it makes something new about you. And that's, I mean, that's why some people say that the priests were supposed to enter in barefoot because you're supposed to be born again. In order to enter into his presence. So you can't just, you can't just go in there like, like, like you can't walk in the same way that, you, that, you're, that you're living out here. You have to be renewed and refreshed and cleansed. And that's what, that's what they were missing. They were missing the cleansing. They had the sacrifice, but they were missing the cleansing. In spiritual life, spiritual rules and regulations, church and following God and being a Christian is no fun when it's just Sacrifice. It's just death and death and screaming and crying and death and death and knives and ree 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 and it's just it's no fun. It's not, it's not, it doesn't change you. It doesn't do anything. It's just this regulation. It's this, it's this ritual that you go to and you feel guilty and then you leave and then you, you have fun and then you go back and you feel guilty and you leave and you have fun. And, and, but the God wants to wash you and cleanse you so that you don't feel guilty anymore, so that you walk with him, so that your feet are clean in order to walk with him, to walk by the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. He wants you to get the, the molten sea out of storage, to get the, the basin out of storage. But there were a lot of other things in storage here, too. There were some ma- massive articles like, like, for instance, these, these lampstands right here, uh, what we would call the menorahs. There was one menorah in the tabernacle, and then when, when Solomon built it, he, he said, well, hey, if one's good, we'll just, we'll just do a whole lot more. Um, but these, these, these are, these are seven, um, seven lampstands. That's one lampstand, but with seven uh, wings, really six wings, three on each side and one up one in the middle. And, and, and these were to be lit at all times. These, these candlesticks were, were to be lit at all times. In fact, uh, the, it's really a representation of Christ himself and the church. Uh, Because in the book of Revelation, Jesus identifies himself as the one who stands among the lampstands. And uh, he he talks a little bit more about that. But the lampstand was to give light because it was the only source of light in, in, in the actual holy place. It was the only source of light. It was to give light, but it was also as a symbol of God's presence. This is also, it was a symbol of the Holy Spirit because in order to keep the lampstands lit, you had to keep adding oil. And so priests 24-7 would go into the holy place simply to fill up. Uh, the jars of oil. I, I think I have another picture. It's a, like a painting or a colorful picture. This is this is kind of a picture of 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 what it of what it probably would have looked like inside of there. You have the you have the menorahs, you have the the the, the, the lampstands, and then you have the priests that that their the, some of their jobs was only just to go in and fill up the oil to put oil in the cups because you just had a cup of oil and a little wick that would sit inside there and draw the oil up to burn it. And this is a symbol of the Holy Spirit that God wants the Holy Spirit to be present in your life. He is the oil of God. And he creates the fire of God inside of you. Some of us are lacking motivation to follow him. Some of us are lacking fire. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. He creates fire inside of you. He creates a drive inside of you to go after God with everything that you got. You don't have that when all you have is sacrifice. You don't have that when you haven't built a place for his presence. All you have is just a ritual. But man, if you start to build a place in your heart for his presence, what will happen is the oil of the Holy Spirit will start to fill. Your spirit will start to fill your heart and the fire of God will catch into your soul. And not only will you be driven and have a a motivation to do God's will, but you'll also have illumination. You'll have a light to be able to see what is the will of God. So many of us are asking, what is my purpose? What was I born for? But in Colossians, it says, I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. This happens through the illumination of the Holy Spirit. This happens when we, when we build a place for his presence in our life and the fire of God comes into the candle of our heart and starts to illuminate where we should go and what we should do. This is the presence of God in our life. This is what the people were missing. They were missing the lampstand. But also they were missing uh, what is called the showbread. You see here uh, shelves of loaves of bread uh, in the tabernacle. There was supposed to be twelve loaves uh, to symbolize the twelve tribes of Israel, and the showbread really—it's it, uh, King James's showbread—but but it's it's it, it means the presence, the bread of God's presence. And this is interesting. God commanded that they bake bread every day, and put it in His temple. I. I love God and I, and I don't like the fast, but I I love the fact that he, that he says we ought to be eating bread. Uh, bread is good for us. Bread is bread is not, not, not wonder bread. That's not bread. That's, that's not bread. But, but real bread is actually good. It's, 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 it'll actually sustain life. You can live on, on bread and water. Like if that's all you got, You can do it, which is why Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Because technically, physically, you could survive on bread. It has the elements of life. It was the first thing that humans ever baked. It's it's got a huge history if you just go back and study it. But God said, I want bread in my house because bread has the necessary nutrients to sustain life. And this is his presence. When his presence is in our life, it's the necessary nutrients for healthy relationships, for healthy finances, for healthy life. And, and not only that, but, he, but, God, but God said that, the, that the, the, the priest then had to eat the bread at the end of the day. And so there were various traditions about what they would do. Oftentimes they would stand and hold hands while they ate the bread together in the presence of God. And so the presence of God brings health and it brings unity between between God's people. When all we have is sacrifice, we still don't have unity among God's people. We still haven't come together. But when we have the bread of his presence, we share it, we break off bits for you and bits for me. And we realize that all of us are the same, no matter our skin color or, or our, our job status or where we come from or what we've done, we're all sharing from the same bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And so what they were missing was the bread which by the way i think i, I think that's what uh, that, that's what that's what the the city actually means is that is the place of bread it's the place where there is health the place where there is nutrients the place where there is wholeness and this is what god wants to have in our life and you would be surprised at at how 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 easy it is for us to live without health for how easy it is for us to live with 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 dysfunction Simply because it's been a part of our system for so long, it's been a part of our lives for so long. I was reading an article uh, a while back about fan death. You guys ever hear about that death by fan? Do you ever hear? No, it's it's a real thing. Now it's not a real thing. This is it's not a real thing in North America. If you ask anybody in North America, death by fan, they'll say, "What are you talking about?" Um, Fan death. No, it's where you leave your fan on in your bedroom overnight with the door closed. It's deadly. You'll die because of fan death. That's why you die, death by fan. And now nobody in North America has heard of this. Nobody in India has heard of this. Nobody in Europe has heard of this. Nobody down under has heard of this. But in the Korean peninsula, especially South Korea, if you mention fan death, they'll know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, there was this there, there was this reporter who is a who is a first generation american from south korea he's a uh, uh, and he, he went back home he was visiting with his mom and his mom was telling him about i think it was her dad who died um and he said well you know how did how did gramps die and well he died because of fan death left the fan on overnight in his bedroom and had the door closed <laughs> and he said mom what are you talking about like Fans don't kill you, like you know, fans don't kill, people do. Um, you know, he, he said, what are you talking about? And she said, no, no, it's fan death. Well, he, st- he started studying it and figured out that back in the 50s, the South Korean government was running low on energy. They had to conserve energy. And so they were trying to get people to not run their fans at night. So they they made up this story that if you leave the fan on at night while you're sleeping, it's very dangerous and if you leave it on with the door closed it's like it's it's almost a sure killer. And so seriously like people people died in their sleep, right? Like 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 her dad and doctors came in and said, "Well, did you have the fan on?" And was the door closed? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what it is. They did reports like on like on 90 Minutes. They did reports like on TV with scientists and doctors trying to explain how like air coming out and or you know whatever and all this stuff. You're breathing it back in and it just kills you somehow. And it was just it it was crazy how everybody said, oh man, yeah, we can't leave our fans on at night. We definitely can't leave them out with the door closed. And then and then back in, I think it was in the 80s. The government finally came out and said, yeah, we really lied about that. Um, we're sorry. Uh, that was not a thing. Not even a thing, but even after the government came out and said that's not a thing They still believed in it But because because you have to understand how brutal that is I mean, what if you were the one that accidentally closed the door that night when the fan was on? You're responsible for killing so-and-so. What if you turned the fan on and you forgot and left it on like like like, because of because of a deep-rooted belief and this, 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 this writer of the article was saying that he never knew why whenever he turned a fan on at night, he would always open the door. And he's like, well, this is probably why I always o-. It's amazing how you might be living out actions based on a lie that was believed generations back before you were even born. They go, they, 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 they never close the door with the fan on at night because, well, you just don't know. some of us do know but, but when you've believed a lie, it, 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 it is so crippling to, we live in such unhealthy and such hungry, soul hungry environments when God has for us the bread of life, fresh ways of thinking, fresh ways of, of agreeing with truth instead of agreeing with an enemy and a lie, fresh ways of approaching other people instead of wondering what they want from me, instead of wondering what what, 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 what how they're gonna try to take advantage of me, fresh ways of looking at each other so that we can come together in unity, fresh ways ways of not seeing other people as competition. Fresh ways of, of health. I mean, I mean, fresh ways of not, of not trying to see who got the upper hand in that particular conversation. That's a generational lie. There is no upper hand in the kingdom of God. We are handing out bread, pieces of Jesus. We are all partaking of him. None of us are higher. None of us are lower. We are all servants of God. And when you eat of him, when you taste of him with other people and you enjoy his presence, you begin to see that there are, there's no hierarchy here. We are all at the same level. And all of our needs can be met by the same bread. All of our hunger can be met by the same bread. All of our, the, our soul's desires can be filled by the bread of life, by Jesus Christ. There's nothing deeper. There's no greater revelation than the revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't care how many charts and graphs you get. I don't care how many, how many, how many esca eschatological predictions you can make. There's nothing greater. There's nothing truer. There's nothing, I don't care how political you might get. There's nothing deeper than the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And there's no greater healing than when a soul comes to Jesus for the first time and gives their lives to Jesus Christ. That's why salvation is the greatest thing to give of the bread of Christ and allow other people to eat off of him and feed off of him and be restored. This is the best healing I don't care what other kind of healings might take place. We've had cancer healed here twice at City Chapel. We've had, we've had so many things healed, physical healings, and that's wonderful. But if all God does is heal your body and doesn't change your heart and change your soul... Has it really benefited you at all? Has it blessed you at all? No, the greatest healing God ever does is in the heart of an individual. That's why salvation will always be our primary target. That's why the lost will always be our primary target. We're not looking to gather Christians under a better roof and bigger place. We're looking to save lost people, to feed hungry people the bread of life so that they might know him. They might come into fellowship with him. And so when I say building a house for God's glory, I don't mean building a better place so that people who already know more about God's word than they're willing to obey will learn more about God's word. I mean, build a place where his presence is felt and the lost are welcomed and broken are welcomed. The hungry are welcomed. They are fed. They are blessed. They are anointed. They are raised up. They are serving. They are leading. They are changing the atmosphere of the place. It is the bread of life that levels the playing field, that, that says there is no hierarchy here. There, we all must partake of this bread. And they were missing it. All they had was sacrifice. They never got to eat of the bread because, because they hadn't built the place for his worship. And then beyond that veil was the key to the whole thing, which was the Ark of the Covenant. And this is the box that God's glory dwelt in. Over, literally, his presence was there. And anytime you have the presence of God, anytime you have the, this is where freedom happens. This is where where all the, the good stuff happens. This is the good stuff of God. It's his presence. Not sacrifice, not religious duty, not obligation. That stuff is to get you in the door is to walk so that you can walk in and say, wow, God is so good. His presence is so strong. And and, and when God said, is it time for you to be building your house? He said, no, it is time for you to build my house so that my presence can dwell among you, so that the center of you, the spiritual part of you can be vibrant, can be alive. Because honestly, you're... None of us are more beautiful than our souls. None of us are more prosperous than our souls. No matter how we might look on the outside, the prosperity doesn't really benefit us unless it is soul prosperity, spirit prosperity. Because this is what people need. Sherry Polanco, this is what Sherry Polanco needed. Most of you don't know Sherry. I don't think hardly any of you met Sherry. Even those of you that were with us, about two and a half years ago, Sherry Polanco, we were at Williams Elementary. Kind of heavy set lady sat, um, if I was looking out, she sat off to the the back right. Um, We had just started meeting at the school uh, in Williams Elementary and she saw us online and came and visited us and sat in the back. And I I saw her like two weeks in a row. And so I I went up and said, hi, my name's Harry. We haven't got to meet you. Yeah, my name is Sherry. I just love it here. It's so great. I said, great. Well, my wife and I would love to meet with you and just find out what God's doing in your heart, doing in your life. That sounds great. And then I didn't see her. Which is not incredibly rare, by the way. <laughs> usually, um, usually, yeah, usually I scare them off. So they like me up here, but when I go down there, things get a little shaky. Uh, they're like, meet with you? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because because I'm fine with talking to the pastor at a place of sacrifice, but I don't want him to come down to my house. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't want a friend of on Facebook or anything. He might see my post, so you know. I, so I understand some people just aren't ready for that, and so I didn't think much of it. A couple of weeks later, I was just praying and I was just thinking about Sherry, wondering what Sherry's doing. And I had actually friended her on Facebook, so I sent her a message: that, "Sherry, I'm praying for you. Hope everything's going well." And she said, "Oh, thank you so much. I've been sick the past few weeks, so I haven't been at church, and um, I'm really looking forward to coming back." Great. So I prayed for her her, her, her illness, and then she messaged me like a week later saying she had surgery and she was going to have surgery like in 10 days on a Friday. I remember on a Friday morning and please pray for me. Absolutely. So I got up that morning, prayed for Sherry. was thinking about her. um, uh, Didn't hear anything. So figured it must've went well. Um, uh, Sunday, uh, Saturday morning um, uh, I was preparing the sermon and I got a call from, from some unknown person. I didn't know the number. I answered. She said, this was Sherry's daughter. And uh, she said that Sherry had passed away. Sherry had died after the surgery. There had been some complications with the surgery. They thought the surgery went well, and then in her sleep, she was gone. And she said, uh, "You know, I've called the ambulance, uh, like she's just going through like first re- like first responder kind of like I've called these but I've called the police, and they're coming to see things." But but I had been talking to my mom and she didn't even live around here, uh, Sherry's daughter, and she said, I've been talking to my mom and she was telling me how much City Chapel had impacted her life and how, how she she felt so welcomed and how she had connected with God there and that hadn't happened in a long time and so I just wanted to call and tell you that. And I said, Well, do you need me to do a funeral or do you need something? Like what do you no, I don't need anything, I just want to let you know. And I said, Okay, well I'm sorry to hear that, but but it's awesome. And, 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 and it's interesting because we didn't, we didn't help Sherry's house at all. We didn't benefit her curb appeal at all. But her coming into the presence of God and to a place that was welcoming and loving changed her perspective about God. And in just a couple of weeks, she had given her life to God. It wasn't very long ago that, that Hector was with us, uh, JT and Alma's son. And he raised his hand and committed his life to Jesus. And he told his dad about how he wanted to be baptized next time we were having baptism. He didn't know that he wasn't going to be alive the next time we were having baptism. October 1st, I think it was two years ago, he tragically passed away. I say tragically, but honestly, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing when somebody goes to heaven when we, when, somebody act, when we know that they were right with God, that they had committed their life to him, that they had come into a place. And so this is why, this is why I think God says, is it time, really, for you to be building your stuff? Because the time is so short. You don't know how short your time is. You don't know how short other people's time is. You don't know when the time is up. It's amazing to me that, that we live, that God gives us such an opportunity to touch people's lives for a brief moment. And we don't know. And, 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 and to prioritize the kingdom of God in your heart means that you will start to have a scope beyond your own comfort. And you'll start to think about those people around you. You'll start to think about, what about this city? What about the people I work with? What about my neighbors? What about my family members? Are they going to heaven? Now, I know, at, I know at every funeral, everybody's going to heaven. But like seriously, according to scripture, do they know God? Do they have a revelation of him? Are they, are they walking in his goodness and his love? Or do they only know about this sacrifice thing? Like, do they just know that church is scary and you should probably go at Christmas and Easter? But, but, but do, do, do they know the, the goodness of God? Have they, have they tasted of the goodness of God? Are they calling their daughters and telling them that God is speaking to them and ministering to them? Is there life change happening in their life? We, had, uh, we, we, we got a letter this week, actually, a thank you letter from, from a mom who came um, on Christmas Eve and collected a whole bunch of Christmas gifts from us, from you all, donated gifts. I think we had like 80-some um, moms or families signed up, 80-some kids signed up, and um, we encouraged them to come on Christmas Eve and... And we handed them you know boxes full of toys in the name of jesus and um got a thank you letter from her the w- one thank you letter so i was I was glad for that we got one thank you letter just a little thank you note said so, to the generous people of city chapel and she just detailed about what it meant to her how how the one how uh her one of her daughters she had two daughters one of her daughter's dad um was uh was in jail over the holidays and uh maybe deported he's out of jail now, but he's still uh, facing possible uh, deportation back to Mexico, and and uh, she was talking about how they were how they were estranged, and how and how you know she she needs prayer, but she said something that I thought was so interesting. She said uh, she said my New Year's resolution this year is to put God first, and I just thought, man, I wonder, hmm, I I I just I I just wonder what the time is. I don't know what time it is for her. I don't know what time it is for you all, but we have this time right here to bless people physically and then to speak to them spiritually, and that it could change, that it it could create a New Year's resolution to put God first. And for her, it really literally might just mean the whole whole altar thing, right? We're going to get another altar. We're going to try again. And I hope that she tries again, because if you can just try again, if you can just do that, then you will start to see that that's, that, that sacrifice thing is not enough. Then you'll hear the voice of God saying, go up to the mountain, get some wood, bring it down, start building my house with all the materials that you got, with, with your Facebook. Build my house with your, with your Facebook. Build my house with your wallet. Build my house with your bank account. Build my house with your talent, with your time, with your creativity, with your energy. Go, because you don't know what time it is what time it is for people in their lives and the seasons that they're in. But we do believe that it's time to build the house of God so that there is a place where people can come and hear him and connect with him. And honestly, at the end of the day, make it to heaven. That's what we want to see. Would you bow your heads with me? And I just want to invite you, if you've never made the decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, to enter into that, that place where, where He comes into your heart and He begins to change your life. I would welcome you to do that. I would welcome you to make that step right now. You can't take the whole journey, obviously, in one prayer, but in one prayer, you can make a decision to go up on the mountain and begin to build this interior life, begin to build this, this spiritual life, to build a place for God in your heart, to clear out space to get rid of other things so that he can take his rightful place. If you'd like to make that decision today, would you raise your hand and say, that's me, the Lord's speaking to me. It's not because Pastor Harry's speaking, but the Lord's speaking to you. That's awesome. If the Lord is laying it on your heart, that's awesome. That's something that he calls. He speaks to you. Yeah, that's awesome. If you raise your hand, would you just... You go ahead and pray on your own, but if I were you, this is what I would say. I would say, dear God, I need you. Forgive me for going my own way. I welcome you into my heart, and I want to follow you for the rest of my life. I turn away from my sin. I turn to you. You have the answer to everything that I need because I need more of you in my life. So I welcome you into my home. I welcome you into my heart. I want all that you have for me. I want everything that you promised in your word. And I choose to lay down my life. I choose to let you lead, to let you guide from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.